as the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin, and deviation, and presumption is an iniquity and idolatry. All right, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. How come I got two outlines? Oh, this is last week's. Okay, I don't need... Well, yeah, I'm going to use this one too. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to finish up the book of 2 Corinthians. We've already finished up first and second. 1 Corinthians, of course, and, and now 2 Corinthians. We have uh, learned, and, and I pray that you have been blessed by going through the book of uh, 2 Corinthians as we have been through these last few years. And uh, once again, I believe that God has brought it to a sovereign point where we can actually conclude it and start with Galatians in the first of the year. So if you want to, I'm going to give you some homework. Start reading the book of Galatians. Uh, it's very small. You won't, you won't take, it won't take you that long to read through the book of Galatians. And then we'll, we'll go into Philippians after that. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians, then Philippians. But uh, six chapters, very few, Ephesians, and then um, we'll keep going until the Lord returns. Amen? How many of you with me? Amen? All right, very good. Thanksgiving, really. I mean, this is, this is the time of year that families come together. They're trying to keep us apart. They're trying to keep the churches apart. They're trying to keep, and understandably, there's a fear of this COVID that has been affecting and infecting many peoples uh, everywhere. And I know we hear the numbers of the people that have been dying and people that have gotten sick. And some of you probably have known somebody that has really been infected in such a way that it has a detrimental effect on their life. I personally know of people that have gotten the COVID and I know people that have uh, come out of it, you know, and, and they've done well. But to say to you that I know somebody that has passed away from it, I have friends of friends that have passed away that I know of. I've heard of people that uh, that very close, you know, we're not too far away from the separation, uh, the degree of separation for a lot of things. And and, and I and, and I'm not trying to belittle the, the the effects that it has. It's a flu. It's a bad flu. And protect yourself. Clean your, you know, make sure you wash your hands, you know, and to do those things that you need to do. Nonetheless, we cannot live in fear. Uh, there's been a lot of deaths that have happened, but you know, also there's been a lot of people that have recovered, right? I mean, over 90, I don't know what it is, it's, it's a high percentage that have recovered from those people that supposedly have caught the COVID. I know that my, my daughter, uh, my granddaughter, she went to the hospital for one thing and they said she had the COVID. And so, okay, so that's another number marked out. I, I just found out this last week, one of my aunts said, caught it as well but she was in there for something else as well so I, I don't know how they quantify that and how they justify that but I know that they're adding these numbers and, and the more numbers that we get the more the the, the 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 it gets really difficult in our lives jobs have been shut down and, and I don't need to go over all that most of you are probably more aware of that and so it, it's what I'm trying to paint a picture of it's kind of hard sometimes for some people to be thankful during this time of the year what do I got to give thanks for you know some people have really gone through a lot and you have. And, and that's just life in general. That happens. Life happens. People get sick. People die. You know, unfortunately, you lose your jobs. People, you, the, the, the economy tanks. Presidents come and go. Governors, politicians. Everything changes. It just, that's life. And that's part of what we're, we're a part of. You know, the word tells us that we need to be in this world, but not be a part of it. We need to be a part of what's going on, and we need to try to do the influence that we can to be able to change it and, and, and help and, and understand not to change the politics, to change the world, but to change the lives like your lives have been changed. And I pray your life has been changed. Because a changed life is a grateful life. Amen? A grateful life equals a changed life. And, and when you change, when something happens inside of you, and all of a sudden God just, and we call that regeneration, being born again, you must be born again. When that happens, there is a change within you. And one of the first things that most people have, and I pray that every one of you have been able to do this, is to have a, a thankful and a grateful heart. An attitude of gratitude is, is such a, it, it's, it's, well, first of all, it helps you personally to not look so negatively on the culture or on your world or on your family. It helps you and it helps others as well. Having an attitude of gratitude, just be thankful for everything, for the storms, the wilderness, the desert places, all the things that are, be thankful for all things and give God the glory, especially when things work out 
your way. Somebody had said to us uh, some time back, and, and we had to, I, I even had to go over that again this last year, a couple of weeks ago, that um, people said, well, you guys don't seem to go through a lot of problems, do you, as a pastor and his wife? And we look at each other and we say, well, I, I, I guess not. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, we haven't been, you know, and then as we thought about it even more so, he says, well, you know, that's not true. It's not necessarily true. As a, as a person, we have gone through a lot of stuff in our life, and even so now. But we choose to look at it in a whole different light. It doesn't knock the wind out of our sails. It doesn't knock us off our feet. I mean, it's, it's hard. It is. It's been difficult. We've lost loved ones. Uh, my, my wife, my mother-in-law, has, uh, my wife lost her mom and brothers and sisters. And, you know, it, it happens. My mom's been sick. Uh, all kinds of, our, our children, sometimes, you know, our, our grandkids, it's just difficult. But we choose not to look at it that way. We decide, you know, God, you're, gonna, you're in control. And we're going to pray and we're going to continue to pray. We thank you, God, for providing for us up to this point. And, and a changed life is a grateful life. A grateful life is a changed life. And this Thanksgiving, I pray that you can come to a point and understand that there's things to be grateful for. Number one, if you've committed your life to Christ, if Jesus Christ has regenerated your life, if you have that in your life and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, there's been a deposit placed upon you, then you are saved. And you have to understand what you're saved from. You're saved from the wrath of God. You're saved from what God himself is going to do to the sinful, to the sinner. You're saved from what God is going to do at the end time when it all comes together. I know you've heard the story that God, or maybe not a story, but a cliche, that, that God is, you know, hates the sin but loves the sinner. It's a nice cliche. The problem is, is that it's not only the sin that God has his wrath and extends his wrath and sends to hell. It's the sinner that is attached to it. The Bible tells us over and over again, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. He does not. Yeah, He loves men, but if you're an evil man, evil may, evil may not dwell within you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. This is the sinner. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. In Psalms, well, that was Psalms uh, 5.4. In Psalms 11, it says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. For the wrath of God, Paul says in Romans, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you have nothing else to be thankful for, you can thank God that he has saved you from his wrath that is being displayed, is on display. In Romans 1.32, it's as though they know God's righteous decree and those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The, the sin in this world has demented the mind and has changed the attitude of people where now it seems like all the evil is good and all the good is evil. We have to understand what we've been saved from. Jesus says in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Beloved, we have been saved from that wrath. And I, I, I wonder sometimes, what is it that people say when, or believe when they say, Well, I've been saved. Really, what have you been saved from? Well, I, I no longer drink. I no longer do this. I stay home now. It's boring. You know, I go to church sometimes and, you know, and, and, and so there's this attitude of not understanding what salvation or what the grace of God is or what the gospel message has done for believers. And so we, we help people and understand to know what God has done for us. And, and so we're grateful. If God never blesses me anymore from this point forward, I owe him my life for the salvation that he has applied to me and my soul and my life. And by extension, by those that I love and those of you that have come to know who Jesus Christ is and his saving power. And so Paul concludes this message with, with, with the, 
this, this book, as he's writing to them, we know that he has people up against him. We know that people are talking about him. They're, they're ridiculing him because of his appearance, because of his speech, because of his you know, demeanor, the way he works with his hands. He's not a true apostle. He can't be a true teacher because a teacher wouldn't work with his hands. He would use his voice, his intellect, and everything else. And Paul doesn't do that. Everywhere he goes, he doesn't let anybody support him. And because you, he does not let you support him, he does not want to be obligated to you. Therefore, he cannot love you. And so they've been talking in these false apostles. Paul has been giving this debate with them through this letter and talking to them. says, look, you know, I, I am the apostle. I'm the one that brought you up. You don't need any recommendation letters from anybody else. You, you are my recommendation. You, you, want some, you want some further proof? Look at my, here's my resume. Look at my body. Look at what I've gone through. Look at, look at the things that, that, that uh, I've experienced for your behalf. And so when Paul starts to finish up this letter, he says, and I'm going to read from chapter 12, verses 11, and I'm going to carry it on through to verse 18, kind of give a little bit of a, uh, some, some information there along the way, and then we're going to pause at verse, uh, actually we'll pause at verse 14. But verse 11, it says this, chapter 12, 11, I have been a fool, you forced me to it, for I thought I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience and with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me for this wrong. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend to be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brothers with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and the sensuality that they have practiced. Father in heaven, help us to take this portion of Scripture and try to make sense of what Paul is saying here at the end and how we can apply this portion to our life. Lord, we ask that you open our minds and, and our, our heart through your spirit, Lord, that we receive your word and only your word and gain instruction, but more than that, a changed life. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us up to this point and for what you continue to do, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. What Paul does here is he, as I said, he's finishing up the letter. He, last week we were talking about how he had gone through this vision that he had had. And, and I mentioned that we don't need outside visions. Uh, he had a revelation. We have already what we call is a closed canon, meaning that all the revelation we need from God is right here. In between these two leather-bound uh, pages is all that we need from God. We don't need an outside revelation. An outside revelation would be a word that somebody else might come up with, a word that somebody else might prophesy or speak or whatever the case may be, the wording that they use. Paul says, you don't need that. You don't need an outside source. You don't need these super apostles as he was talking about. And, and false apostles and false prophets have been around for a very long time. As a matter of fact, Jesus even warned us, beware of the false prophets. Beware of false apostles. They're going to come, especially as the time approaches, as the day 
becomes and gets closer and is near. And so Paul talks about this vision that he had. And as we mentioned last week, this vision that he had was 14 years prior. Never wrote a book, didn't make a movie, didn't try to sell tickets to give his experience out to what happened. He says, I I couldn't even explain to you. I I can't even tell you what I saw. Only because it's, it's unimaginable. It's not what God wants me to tell you. These are the things that you need to know. Paul invested his life in writing these letters, many more other letters as well. He invested his life in writing these letters to help the church grow. To grow mature, to grow deep, to grow tall, to grow wide, but to grow. To grow in a sense where nothing can move you and nothing can take you away. And these Corinthians have let outside sources come in have let outside sources influence their thinking, their theology, their thought process. So Paul is coming back and he's saying, look, you have to pay attention to what I taught you. You have to pay attention to what, what we have said. And so when, he's, when he talks about this thorn in his flesh, he talks about this, this pain, this agony, this, this stake is what it, it translates out to be. When he talks about this, this, this struggle that he's going through, it's a huge struggle in his life. And it was it was such that it debilitated him in such a way. It could have been, we don't really know, and I, and I talked a little bit about that. I don't even want to get into what it could be, but it, it could have been all kinds of things. People have all sorts of different ideas as to what it could have been. But the, the point is this, that Paul was struggling with this thorn, this stake, this driven piece of wood within his side, something that was just causing him this pain and this anguish that he prayed three times. Now, if you know anything about Paul's prayer life, Paul didn't just, you know, bow his head at dinner time and say, Dear Lord, uh, please take this pain away from me in Jesus' name. Amen. No, I, I honestly, I, I can implore you to believe that Paul more than likely fasted and prayed, if not 40 days, at least three days. And he prayed earnestly. He prayed for this thorn to be taken out. And at the end of it all, we find out that Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul says, that's all I need. That's all I need. And then he, and he says in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is the accusation that these false prophets were giving. You know, the guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's weak. He's all beat up. And, you know, and so that's why he starts off, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, he says. For I ought to have been commended by you for... For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. And he's kind of speaking in in hyperbole. He's speaking in, you know, exaggerating these super apostles. Paul, we have super apostles within our midst. Oh, wow, really? You know, all they want is your money. They slap you. They hit you. They take advantage of you. Really? These are super apostles. They, they, they tell you that all kinds of stuff. And and then they, they, they want you to do stuff for them. They want you to be indentured. They want to be indentured to you. And so that you can pay them and take care of them. Paul says, I don't know. And then he says in verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you. And one of the things that I think a lot of people have have come to, probably not come to understand, is that number one, apostles is the word apostolos, which means to be sent, the sent out ones. Jesus had 12. There's 12 of them. Judas was considered an apostle. Matthias uh, took Judas's place after Judas hung himself. So that made 13. And, of course, Paul calls himself a super apostle or apostle as well because he met Jesus Christ. And I know there are a lot of people today, they introduce themselves as apostles and they call themselves apostles or they may call them apostles as well. And we've gone through this back in 1 Corinthians when we talked about the gifts and, and everything else. But, but first of all, Paul says, you know, they're, they're not really apostles. Because number one, as we found out in the book of Acts, chapter 1, that when they picked Matthias, there were some qualifications. First, the apostles were, number one, they were sovereignly chosen by God for their ministry. And Matthias was sovereignly chosen by God through the casting of lots. I don't know if you know how casting of lots works. There's this container with these rocks inside of them that represent each person, and they would shake it. And by God's sovereign design and plan, whichever marker fell out, that's how God wanted us to, uh, God wanted them to go. We don't have lots anymore because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs us and guides us. So we're not going to be playing dice in the patio, okay? That's not what we built that amphitheater for. We're not going to have a roulette wheel, and we're not going to have that because we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. And he says, okay, he says this, I have a revelation for you, a very special revelation for you, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Read his word. There it is. 
God's revelation is right here. God's already revealed to you everything you need to know. And so, first and foremost, an apostle has to be chosen by God. He's got to be the one that, that God picks and, and brings in to, uh, into the mix. There was another thing, too, that was needed. In Acts chapter 1, they, they say that you know, the person that we picked had to have been with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how that in itself, I don't know how a lot of apostles qualify themselves as apostles because I don't know anybody that's been that old. Number two, you had to be a witness of the resurrection. Number three, there were signs and wonders that were performed by the apostles. Number four, most of them proclaimed, all of them proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by extension, every one of them, uh, if well, maybe not all of them, but all the Gospels, all, all the New Testament was written by the apostles. If not by the apostles, like Luke, good friend of Paul, um, Jude, James, uh, you know, so, so all these, was, they, were, they were people that were connected to the apostles. And so after the book was, after the Bible was canonized, in other words, after the Bible was completed, and all the fathers, the church fathers, 150, 200 years later, they looked at all the writings and everything that pointed to Jesus Christ, they put together and they said there's 66 books that we can use as a canon. This is God's authorized word. And everything that we ever need from that point forward is right here. Apostle, Paul says, these guys aren't apostles. They weren't part of the resurrection. They didn't see anything, or did they? Were they appointed by Jesus Christ? They couldn't have. Jesus is already long gone. Paul qualified himself by spending three years in the wilderness being taught by Jesus. We'll see this when we get into Galatians. And so we have to look at the, the, the life of an apostle, what an apostle does. And, and what, what Jesus, excuse me, what Paul is getting across here is, is, look, there's some things that I'm really thankful for. Some of the things that I, I thank God that he saved you. I thank God that he's protected you. But you've got all this outside influence coming in. Please start to just get rid of it. He says in verse 14, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours. But here's what he seeks. He says, I seek you. I don't want anything from you. I, all I want is you. Not anything from you. I want your heart to be totally sold out to Jesus Christ and for his gospel to be proclaimed through you, through your life. And I desire for that. And Paul says, that's what I want. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours. And it's amazing on how there's pastors and there's leaders that this is all they go after. You can tell, you can see, and, and you can sense what it is that a, that a genuine pastor and genuine person would want instead of the, the, the things of this world. They desire their congregation, their loved ones, their children, as he says, his children, to grow. He makes a really neat uh, analogy for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. It should be that way. Parents save up for their children. You know, I, I spent all my money already, but anyways, that's a different story. Verse 15, I will, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So Paul is given this argument. Look, I love you guys. Look what I've done. I've been able to give you all that I can give you. And he says, number one, uh, in order to have this thankful heart, the first, and, and, and when you have a thankful heart, I should say, you have, number one, a burden for the church. There is a burden. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. I, I will not be a burden, for I, for I seek not what is yours, but you. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Philippians was written from prison. And he says, you know, even if they're going to sacrifice me, I'll do it again, because I want you to grow. In, in Colossians, this is not in your outline, but it says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Whatever Jesus Christ, he says, couldn't, if, if he lacked anything, I'm going to try to fill it in, which he did not lack anything. So when, when I'm thankful, with a thankful heart, one of the things that will happen is I'll have a burden for the church. I'll have a burden for what Jesus Christ died for. See, Jesus Christ paid a price, a huge price. What he paid that price for? For my salvation. 
What did he save me from? From the wrath of God. And so my burden, my, my whole desire, my whole life should be wrapped up in protecting the unity of the church, growing the church, helping the church, the people, not the building. As I said many times before, it's not about landscape. It's not about parking lots. It's not about buildings. It's about you. And that's where we need to invest our time and our efforts and our finances. Number two, I desire to build up the church. Not only have a burden for the church, but to build up the church. Have you been thinking all along, he says in verse 19, that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking, in Christ, and for your upbuilding, beloved. One of God's, one of Paul's beautiful words, he, used to, he loves that word, beloved. He would always call his brethren, beloved. So I'm not thinking about myself. I'm not, I don't want anything from you. I'm not trying to even defend myself to you. I'm sharing this to tell you that this is what God has done in my life. And if, any, if I wanted approval from anybody, I want approval from God. There are a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers, a lot of people, even most, most people want approval from everybody. They want approval from their friends. They want approval from their families. They want approval from the neighbors. And, and so a lot of people go way out of their way trying to appease and please as many people as possible. The problem with that is that the moment you start trying to appease group A, then group B gets mad. Hey, well, what about me? You come over here to group B, and then group C back there say, hey, well, what about me? And you're, you're bouncing around. Well, I don't like them. You know, okay, well, I'll try to, and, and you're going around trying to please everyone. Point is, Paul says, look, I'm only pleasing the audience of one. That's the person that I'm going to please. When I please the audience of one, everything else seems to work out for its best. Number three, with a grateful heart, I will live a life of repentance. I will live a life of repentance. Repentance seems to have gotten, you know, a, a different understanding, I guess. Let me read this to you, 1 Corinthians 12, 20-21. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Those sins that Paul is talking about are things that he has already observed, things that he's already gotten report from. These are the things that are happening within the church. Paul says, I'm afraid that's going to happen. Even though I've talked to you guys and I've shared with you guys, live in peace, live in harmony, live in unity. He says, I fear that that's what's going to happen. And, and, and those sins that Paul is talking about are things that happen within the body. And then he goes on, I fear when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality that they have practiced. There's a corporate sin, and there's a personal sin. Paul is saying, you know, these two sins, they shouldn't be within the church. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to the city of Corinth. Corinth had this reputation of being a very sensual city. Everything was about sexual immorality. And when a person lived their life in debauchery, when the person lived their life is like, yeah, it don't matter, they would say, oh, you have been Corinthianized. You have been Corinthianized. You have been influenced by the city of Corinthian or Corinth, and therefore now you are a Corinthianizer. And that was, so for some people, it was a badge of honor. Oh, yeah, you know, I've been to Vegas, and that's, you know, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I live in Vegas. I, you know, I, I participate in everything that happens over there, and it's just what it was. And Paul is saying, okay, that's what you used to be like. You used to be like that. Now you got to get rid of that. And he says, I'm afraid that when I show up, all this backbiting is going to be happening. I'm afraid that when I show up, all the sexual immorality is still going to be going on. You need to repent. People say, well, I did repent. I mean, I came forward. I even cried. I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. Repentance is more than just a change of mind. Repent repentance is a change of lifestyle. There's got to be a change of lifestyle. And for, for a lot of people, we have softened sin to, to not being what it's supposed to mean. You know, I mean, you know, they're just having an affair. That's not an affair. That's adultery. You know, they're just living together. No, they're not living together. That's called sexual immorality. You know, I just tell white lies. That's not calling, that, that's lying. You know, I, sometimes I don't do things on my taxes properly. That, that's not just evade, evading taxes. That's called stealing. 
And we've softened the sin in people's lives. And most people don't want to talk about it. I don't want to say anything. You know, I'm afraid to offend the person. Or you'll get this. Most people, what they do, and this, is, this happens with not only just believers, but a lot of people. Even the worldly people. They always come out with that one verse. What is it? Thou shalt not judge. Exactly. <laughs> judge not lest you be judged. It's amazing on how next to John 3.16, that's the most quoted verse. Thou shalt not judge, really? Yeah, where do you find that at? It's in there somewhere. Well, where? Tell me where it says that. But it doesn't say that? Yeah, it says that. But you tell me where it's at. Most people can't even tell you it's in Rome. Excuse me, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Most people can't tell you that when Jesus is telling you this, he's telling you, you know, don't, don't condemn. Most people don't, can't tell you that later on in chapter 7, as Jesus is talking about what, what you need to do is to judge the good fruit from the bad fruit, to judge the, the sheep's, uh, the wolves in sheep's clothing, to judge those that are, uh, the, 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 the apostles that are false and those that are right, uh, not false. There is an element of being able to align up. Most people can't tell you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we went through this in 1 Corinthians, that Paul says of the immoral brother that's having sex with his father's wife, he says, cast him out. And then he goes on to say, who am I to judge those outside of the church, out in the world? Are we not supposed to judge those within the church? Expel that immoral brother and let God deal with the people that are out in the world. We need to clean house and take care of things within the church. Beloved, that is a hard statement to make in today's culture and society. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's sexual immorality. It's not, you know, just doing what I feel like it. It's disobedience. It's not live my life the way I want to live my life. It's sin. And Paul says that we need to repent. Repentance is a huge thing in, 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 our, in our life as Christians. And, and not just the one-time deal. I've got to do this every day in my thought process. And the things that I think, the things that I see, sometimes even the things that I say. And I'm not saying that I go around seeing and saying ugly things, you know, which all I'm saying is that there's times that I, you know, really just kind of want to run that person over. <laughs> okay, Lord, please forgive me, you know, the, the, there's something going on in that person's life. You know, there, there's times that I just want to shut the door to some family members and never ever speak to them again. And, okay, Lord, you know, and it's not that type. And, you know, it's not that like that. You know, I'm not going to go out and kill somebody. You know, I'm not. I'm not a terrorist. And, but we do need to repent. Sometimes I need to repent from doing what is right instead of doing what is easy. I should read my Bible. Eh, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, I should pray more. Yeah, maybe next week. You know, there's times that I should give myself more so, and I got to repent from that attitude of, of, like Paul, he wanted to spend his life. I wish I could say that about myself. I want to really just invest. I want to burn my life out in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Repentance is one word that I think we've not yet fully understood, and we need to embrace it as best as possible within our life to recognize that we each one of us have to repent on a regular basis we each have to repent number four i will pursue sanctification i will pursue sanctification a grateful heart pursues sanctification a grateful heart is one that is willing to to not only repent but also let jesus christ cleanse you and and work through you and this is something that should happen in all our lives. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Let me go back and read the first few verses of that. Because Paul's final warnings is this, in chapter 13, verses 1 and on. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For we 
For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is not to say that you lost your salvation. This is not to say that you can lose your salvation. This is not saying that, you know, maybe I should, uh, you know, maybe I can go away and come back. Some people use this verse as a verse to where they can prove, look, See, you can lose your salvation. There's a, and, and this is, this happens in, in Baptist circles, the theology that, it's really not a theology, it's more a philosophy. Once saved, always saved is the way it's spoken. Oh yeah, I came forward. I repented that one time and that's it. I'm done. I'm saved. And doesn't the Bible teach that once saved, always saved? Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible teaches is the, is the security of the genuine believer. When you are regenerated, and you aren't saved, you can pursue, you can pursue those things that God has set out for you. Sanctification is, the Bible talks about it over and over and over again, is to pursue holiness, to be holy, to stay away from sin, abstain from those things that, that the world has. And pursuing holiness or being sanctified, being set apart from the world, is all Paul has been talking about in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians. Every letter that he wrote, he is instructing the church to stay away from sin. And unfortunately, that's one thing that the church doesn't teach that much anymore. We teach how to get along with your neighbors, which is good. We teach how to raise your children, which I understand is a great topic. But you know, we were just to abstain from sin and let the Holy Spirit sanctify us. The sanctification process is this process that we go through in life. The sanctification process, and it's a, it's a deep subject, it's a deep theology, but bottom line, it just means that He's purifying you in every step that you take, and every step of obedience, which is the next step. And so a thankful heart wants to be sanctified, wants to be set apart, wants to, un- wants to understand what is it that I should be doing from this point forward. Paul is saying here, test yourself. In the Old Testament, David said the same thing. Test me, O Lord, and know my anxious heart. Job said the same thing. Test me, Lord, for you know what is it that's been going on in my life? Test me. I want to know. Testing is something that each one of us ought to do on a regular basis. And the church is filled with people that say they believe, but they don't. I mean, this is the parable of the wheat and the tares. I don't know if you know what wheat and tares are, but wheat has this, this nice little stalk. It kind of looks like those foxtails. Do you remember those as kids? The tares that, you know, you pull them off the top and you can almost take them apart and kind of throw them at each, we used to throw them at each other, you know, and just kind of play darts with them. And they almost look like wheat. They're identical, as a matter of fact, in size and everything else. And that's what we have within the church. As a matter of fact, Jesus says again in chapter 7 of Matthew, many of you are going to come to say, Lord, Lord, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, well, didn't we, didn't, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we go to church and sing? Didn't we do all those things? He goes, yeah, but you did them for yourself. Sanctification is a process from the inside out. What most people try to do is work from the outside in. They change their hairstyle. They change their attitudes. They change their, their clothes. They change, they change everything and dress up really nice and neat. But do not clean the inside. Do not work with the inside. That's the biggest problem facing the church right now is this insensitivity to sin. And it seems like it, it, it just goes in and, and, it, and it festers. But Paul says you need to test this. You need to examine this. You need to, like the way that they test metal and how they, they determine its genuineness by testing it and putting it to the test. One of the things that they do when they're laying out foundations or when they're laying out pavement, when they laid out the pavement out here, they didn't actually have to do that. But in most places where you lay down a, a, an asphalt, some asphalt and some pavement, they would take core samples of the ground. They dig deep and test to see if the compaction, if the moisture, if the rock is the same, the right thickness and, and the sand and everything else that's on it. They take out a core sample and they test it and they burn it and they, they, they weigh it and all kinds of things. No, it's not good enough. You need to compact it some more. Or yes, it's sufficient. Go ahead and lay your asphalt down. Go ahead and lay your concrete down or whatever the case is. That's what Paul is saying. You need to test what it is that you're basing your salvation on. 
Test what the Word of God says according to what the world says. The world has all kinds of ideas. The world will say all kinds of things. Test the genuineness of your faith. First, genuine faith is marked by penitence. In other words, you're repentant. Jesus said, Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Another thing about testing your faith and making sure that it's genuine faith is that you have this desire for righteousness. This desire not to have, not to be righteous, but a desire for righteousness. Third, the genuine testiness of your faith will, will show that you have submission to God's authority. That you are, you are submitted to what it is that God wants you to do, which leads to the next mark, which is obedience. And genuine saving faith is marked by love for God and for others as well. Number five, I will live in obedience. A grateful heart will live in obedience. When you're thankful, when you're grateful, when you thank God for what you, what's going on in your life, and just about anybody else, when, you, when you're thankful for the job that you have, when you're thankful for the family that you have, when you're thankful for the parents, you live in obedience. I think disobedience is probably one of the biggest signs of ungratefulness. Ungratefulness for the country, ungratefulness for our, our jobs, ungratefulness for, because we just disobey. Disrespect. Paul says in verses 7 and 8, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Paul says, obey. Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rocks. The rains came down, the floods rose, and the wind came up against it, and the house on the rock stood firm. Then he goes on to say just the opposite. He says, for anybody who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, talking about the foundation again, is like a foolish man that built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the floods went up, and the winds beat up against the house, and the house on the sand went splat, as we used to say in kindergarten or Sunday school. Same wind, same floods, same rain, same house, same builder probably, different foundations. Everything is identical except for the foundation. That's what we have in this world, beloved. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I'd like for you to mark that and go back and read that story. It's, it's an amazing story of how God just flat out just says, you know what, Saul, I, I asked you to do one thing, just one thing and one thing only. Samuel came up to Saul and says, you know, the Amalekites, they, they have been running all rampant, and I want you to destroy them, destroy them all. They're godless to take everything, all their plunder, all everything that they, burn it. Just get rid of it all. And so Saul goes in and the, God gives him victory and the place is destroyed except for, well, you know, these are good cows. You know, that, that was a good sheep. That's good gold. That, you know, and so they destroyed all the bad stuff and kept all the good stuff. And God tells Samuel, Samuel, go talk to Saul. He's disobeyed me. And, you know, Saul's response is pretty typical of those that are in disobedience. Saul says, well, we did what God said. We destroyed everything except for the good stuff, which we saved, as a matter of fact, Samuel. We saved it so we can sacrifice it. And here's the word he uses, for your God. He says, we're going to sacrifice this stuff and we're going to use it for sacrifice for, for your God. Because we've already taken care of all the other stuff. And in verses 22 and 23, I mean, it's an amazing story. Samuel tells him, has, has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin and deviation and presumptuous, presumption is an iniquity and idolatry. In other words, Saul is saying, you know what? When you disobey God... When he tells you to do something and you disobey, it's just like practicing witchcraft. When you're disobeying God, it's like just, you know what? There is no God. And it's like idolatry. And the reason it's idolatry is because I've made myself, I set myself up as God. And therefore, God says, I don't like that. I don't, I don't need your sacrifice. I don't need your tithes and offerings. I don't need your, I want you to obey. That is much better than anything you could ever give or do in life. 
He just wants total obedience. And God says, it's just like witchcraft. And there's, no, there's a huge commandment that Jesus Christ left, left to us in John chapter 13, which is point number six. When, I'm, when I have a grateful heart, I will love God and I will love others. It's amazing. I'm, I'm trying to teach our grandchildren on how to love God and love others. Love your, you know, we recite that verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all, with all your, soul and with all your mind. And I tell my, my grandkids, and they say, well, what's your mind? You go, that's where you keep everything. It's your memory. So that word stuck with them. So every time they recite that verse, love the Lord your God with your heart, with, our, with all your soul, with all your memory. No, not memory, mind. And they keep saying memory, mind. <laughs> but they're getting it. And then the second one is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. And so they're thinking about the neighbors with all the dogs, you know, and, you know, my neighbor, which is Walter. And they're thinking, well, let me share with you this story. And I think they're getting it. Beloved, your neighbor is a person that's closest to you, that, that is in need. You need to learn how to love. The reason why we, commute, we congregate as a congregation, the reason why it's essential to be together as a church, you need to be loved. I need to be loved. We need to be loved. Love is such a dynamic force that God has placed in us and around us, and it is to be dealt with within the church. Paul says, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We comfort one another, we live in peace, we agree with one another. And it's interesting because Paul has just berated them. You know, I'm afraid I'm going to find you guys doing all kinds of sexual immorality. I'm, af- I'm afraid I'm going to come find you guys doing all kinds of stuff within the church. And Paul was not just love everyone. It doesn't matter. It's okay. We don't want to offend. No, Paul offended everybody. He says, you're in, this, you're in wrong, you're in sin, and you're, doing, you're not doing what God's called you to do. Now, with that in mind, we do this in love. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't give us these commandments. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you these things. If I really just, you know, do whatever you want, it's okay, it's no big deal. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people can't really receive that or don't want to receive it. Some people would rather live their life with blinders on. Jesus gave us that commandment. In John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Now we need to pause there. Because what Jesus says is, just as I have loved you. Now we need to try to find out, okay, how did Jesus love us? I mean, that in itself is a whole book. Substitutionary atonement, died for our sins, humbled himself. Uh, Kenosis theology, he emptied himself. He became a slave. He washed our feet. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. I mean, we, we just go over, what did Jesus do? You know, how did he love us? Many people get this verse and says, just, well, that means just, you know, kind of hug each other and go to church and be. Love is an action. And so we stop and we look, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have this type of love for one another, if you have love for one another. And many people in the world sometimes can't see a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ because the love that we have is conditional. But when a person sees unconditional love, it just blows things away. Uh, it just People can just see it. We had an encounter this last week. It was, it was just a, a beautiful encounter. First time we ever met this couple. First time. We went there for a totally different reason. You know, and we, we went and we sat there and we sat down and we communicated with them and we talked with them and, and we, you know, we must have been there, I don't know how long, and all of a sudden, hey, well, you know, this is just like, you know, I've known you guys forever. <laughs> how long, have, you know, we, we just met. You see, that kind of love, it, it's, you can't make that up. It, it, just, it just comes together. And it grows. And when you come to church, that's what we need to have. We need to have that type of love. And sometimes it's a little hard taking down those barriers because I don't want to expose myself. I don't want to show you my hurts. Brother, that's why I said, don't apologize. 
This is what we're here for. We need to carry one another's burdens. We need to pray for one another. And, and the, the problem is, is that, eh, you know, somebody got mad at me or so I got mad at somebody else. You know, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too loud. Not my kind of music. You know, whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, boom, everybody's gone. Paul says, stick it out. You are called to this place, the place of worship, the place where you congregate at to make a difference. And maybe not the whole congregation, but at least make the difference in somebody's life there. Someone that you've grown close to. Love one another. Love doesn't leave. Love doesn't separate. Love doesn't, you know, quantify. Well, maybe this, maybe that. Love is genuine. Jesus said, this is how people know that you are my disciples. You guys stick it through. Paul concludes this portion by saying, the grace of the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I, I like the way Paul concludes his messages. He, he gives a triune blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. He closes it in such a succinct fashion. It's all about God and His Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit that empowers you to get this done. So he says, rejoice. Aim for restoration. You know, there's people that have done you wrong. There's people that have done me wrong. There's people, I, may, I may offend you at one time or another. If I haven't yet, wait your turn. I'll get there. I'm on my way. I'm what they call an equal opportunist. Okay? And restore. Aim for that restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. There are a lot of things that we won't be able to see eye to eye in. Okay? But we can, hand, we can walk hand in hand. There are a lot of things that politically or I don't know what it might be, there's just going to be a lot of differences. Okay, we can agree to disagree, but we need to just aim for that restoration. Live in peace, Paul says. Live in peace. We can do that. We can do that. Let me ask you to stand. Paul closes this letter really well and by saying, you know, what we just talked about. Ultimately, it comes down to loving God and loving others. And when we're, here, we're here to build a relationship with God and with others. And we're going to do what we can is what God has showed us in His Word. And Father in Heaven, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this, this uh, book that You've given us to be able to read through, how You preserved it just for us, and how we're able to just take from it the parts that mean a lot to us, the parts that you have designed just for us. There's so much more that we could have gleaned if we would have just taken a fine-tooth comb. But Lord, you walked us through this book as you have the previous ones, specifically for this time at this place. And during this holiday season of Thanksgiving, help us to remember to give thanks to you. We will live thankful hearts, thankful lives with a thankful heart. And we will live in peace with one another. So, Father, thank you once again for giving us this time, this opportunity, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. All right. We're going to do our blessing.